Thanks, Martin, and good morning to all of you. It's great to be with you again. And um, I'd just like to begin by uh, showing a picture here and asking you if anyone knows uh, where this is. Just to give you a clue, it's in Ukraine. And uh, does anyone know the name of the town? It's actually a little town called Irpin, uh, just on the outskirts of Kiev. Some of you might have heard of it. It's quite like Holy, ba it's, it's quite like Holy in many ways. Uh, because it's a commuter town, it's about the same distance from central Kiev as Hawley is from central London. There's also a very lively Baptist church in Irpin. There's even a, a, an airport uh, located not far from this town. In many ways, it's, it's a lot like Hawley. I've visited Irpin several times. And this is Irpin today. It's the center, the, the headquarters of the whole Ukrainian Baptist Union is located in this town. Now, I spoke recently to a Baptist minister, a Baptist pastor, from one of the churches in Irpin. And he was telling me, literally through tears in his eyes, about how Russian soldiers had occupied and desecrated his church. They'd used the cross, like we've got a cross on the wall, so did the, the, the church in, in Irpen also has a cross. And the soldiers had used the cross for target practice, and the cross was spattered with bullets. The Russian soldiers had, had also daubed and defaced the walls and the floor of the church with satanic graffiti. My friend walked out on the street, and uh, he could see the charred, blackened remains of women and children who had tried to escape unsuccessfully from the massacre. And as I was hearing my friend literally telling me this through tears in his eyes, I was thinking, where is God in all of this? How, can, how on earth can God allow such evil to, to happen? And this is just one story. I could tell you a thousand stories of friends in Ukraine who've experienced similar horrors. And people are crying out in pain to God, and yet, what do they hear from God? Nothing. Silence. God doesn't seem to answer the prayers. So why doesn't God do anything? Is, is, is God unloving? Is God uncaring? These are genuinely the questions that, that our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are asking right now. And even if most of us here today, hopefully, we haven't experienced a brutal invasion by a foreign army, but most of us presumably have experienced times in our lives when we've We've been through difficulties, we've experienced troubles, and we found ourselves crying out to God in pain, asking, how long, O oh Lord? Will you do something? Will you intervene? Will you help me? And all we get is silence. So is God unloving? Is God uncaring? Why does God wait? Why does God seem to delay? This is precisely the scene that we're confronted with from this passage that Sheila just read from John chapter 11. 
so this is the scenario. There's a guy called Lazarus, and he's gravely ill, ill to the point of death. And what happens is Lazarus's friends, they, they come to Jesus, who's in Jerusalem, and they say, Jesus, your good friend, Lazarus. Remember, Jesus and Lazarus were very close. They were almost like brothers. And Martha and Mary, Lazarus's brothers, were like brothers to Jesus. They were very, very close. And so Lazarus's friends try to appeal to Jesus. They say, Jesus, you've got to come back to, to Bethany where Lazarus was, was literally on his deathbed. You've got to come back to Lazarus and you need to heal him. But how does Jesus respond to this urgent request? Well, Jesus says that, um, no, sorry, I, I can't come right now. I'm busy, I'm doing things here. So he can't come. Or at least this is what Jesus says. And this response, it seems quite callous, quite unfeeling in, in some respects, doesn't it, to, to us from our perspective? And actually, by the time Jesus eventually turns up, Lazarus has already been dead for four days, we're told, in the Gospels. And Martha, when she sees Jesus, she's obviously grieving the death of her brother, but she's also really angry at Jesus. And she says in verse 21, she says to Jesus, it's like complaining, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But the thing is that Jesus, let's just say that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And one thing we know about Jesus is that he came to do God's will. He didn't come to do the, the, the will or the bidding of his friends and family. Jesus does things in his own time and in his own way and this might not always be with the same sense of urgency that we feel or, or others might feel when we're confronted with a critical situation so when he's told that his close friend Lazarus is gravely ill Jesus hangs around for a couple of days in Jerusalem and then by the time that Jesus arrives in Bethany where Lazarus was Lazarus has already been dead for four days so the obvious question is, why did Jesus let his friend die? Why did he allow Lazarus' family to experience this terrible grief of their brother dying well before his time? Well, the reason is that Jesus wants to demonstrate, he wants to show that he is the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life, he's not just making an abstract philosophical statement. He actually wants to demonstrate this. He wants to show this in an actual demonstration. He's going to raise his friend and his, almost like a brother, uh, Lazarus, back to life. So let's take a closer look at, at what happens. Jesus eventually returns to, to Bethany. And he can hear the wailing and the mourning of the people, the friends and the family of Lazarus in their grief. And the gospel tells us 
that Jesus was deeply moved. This is the term that's used. Jesus was deeply moved when he encountered all the people mourning and wailing, bemoaning the loss of Lazarus. Now, in fact, this is a really poor translation uh, to say that Jesus was, was deeply moved. In fact, the, what, what's actually implied by the original Greek word, it's a very long Greek word beginning with E, I'm not going to try to, uh, to pronounce it, um, but what's actually implied in the original text is that Jesus wasn't so much deeply moved as he was absolutely furious. He was angry. He was outraged. And it's really important that we understand this because in some ways the whole meaning of this passage hinges on this, on this key meaning, what this word actually means. So what does it mean? Jesus is deeply moved, but this means that he's not just really sad or, or sorrowful or, or grieving. It means that he is angry and furious. He's, what's he angry at? He's angry at death. He's angry at death itself because of the devastation and destruction that it brings. So Jesus is angry at death. He's angry at the annihilating power of death. The way that death causes the suffering of his people. Now, this points to something really important. And this is that Jesus views death completely differently to the way that most of us regard death. So Jesus doesn't just think about death as an inevitable event that happens to people at the end of their life. For Jesus, death is a destructive, negative, spiritual power. And death is hostile to life. Death causes devastation and destruction. Death separates people, his people, from the living God. So we could say that death is literally Jesus' mortal enemy. So this is the reason why Jesus wept, why Jesus was deeply moved. So it's important to understand that Jesus' tears are not primarily because he's grieving over the loss of his friend Lazarus, because actually Jesus knows that his friend's going to be absolutely fine. He's about to raise him from death, and also he's going to spend eternity with God. Jesus isn't really that worried about what's going to happen to his friend. But Jesus' tears are connected to the anger and the sense of outrage that he feels towards death itself. Now, this is the experience that I've had when I've heard my Ukrainian friends speaking about what's happened to them. Yes, I'm grieving, and I'm, I'm sad, and I'm sorrowful at the terrible loss, but I'm also really angry about what's happening. I'm really furious that so many lives are being destroyed for, for no reason. It's really wicked. It's even demonic. So, let's think about what happens when Jesus enters the tomb. The tomb of his friend, Lazarus. So, 
we read in the passage that Jesus is deeply moved. Remember, this means he's angry, he's furious. Now, this is one of the most amazing scenes in the whole of the gospel. We sometimes just kind of read over it without really thinking about what's, what's going on here. But just think about this incredible scene as Jesus steps up to the tomb and he sees the dead body of his beloved friend, Lazarus. Think about what's going on here. The Lord of life, Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, is now standing directly in the tomb confronting his main enemy, death. He's literally staring death in the face. It's symbolized, death is symbolized in the tomb by the dead body of his friend. And so in this scene, we see just how determined Jesus was with all of his might to reverse the damage that death had done to his friend and also the, the grief and the sorrow that death had brought to his beloved friends, Martha and Mary, who were like sisters to Jesus. And... Jesus reverses the damage of death in this scene. This is precisely what he does. He demonstrates. He doesn't just make a philosophical statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He demonstrates that he is the Lord who has the power over life and death. So Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And in doing so, he demonstrates. He shows that he has the power over death. Yes, death is a formidable force. Death is powerful. But Jesus is even more powerful than the power of death. Jesus is even more powerful than the power of death. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're just about to celebrate Easter. This is what the Easter message is all about. That life triumphs over death. That life has the final say in our human destiny. And so there's even more to this passage than meets the eye. Because what Jesus is doing here is that he's showing us today that death has no claim. Not only over Jesus or Lazarus. Death has no claim. No ultimate claim over us who believe in him. And Jesus says throughout the Gospels that those who believe in him will have the power to defeat death. Now obviously this doesn't mean that those of us who believe in Jesus aren't going to, to, to physically die. Of course we are. But it does mean that for those of us who believe in Jesus, that our lives will go on beyond the grave that we won't suffer death in eternity. So we're left with this question that we asked earlier about why did God allow Lazarus to die? Why didn't Jesus intervene straight away as soon as he heard his friend was sick like his friends and family wanted him to do? Well, the answer is that Jesus wants people to know that he's not just some kind of great physician or doctor or some kind of magic healer. 
He wants people to know that he is the Lord of life who has the power to defeat death. And what Jesus is showing here is is that he's got so much more power. He can do so much more than simply prevent a sick person from dying. He can even give life back to a dead person. And as a result of delaying the miracle, even more people, we find out this a bit later on in the gospel, even more people come to a living, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of this delay. And even more importantly, arguably, by delaying his miracle, Jesus was preparing people for his own resurrection, which was to take place uh, a little while later. So this might sound fine and, and understandable in theory, but we're still left with the terrible reality the things that happen to us in our own lives, the things that we hear about on a a daily, hourly basis, the horror stories coming out of Ukraine, which are at the forefront of our mind today. And to be quite honest with you, I sometimes find it really difficult to hold on to my faith when I hear about these terrible stories. I know that's a shocking thing to say for a, a Bible college lecturer, but I sometimes genuinely uh, struggle with these questions. And what I'm trying to grasp, I think I've got an intellectual understanding of it. I'm trying to grasp the fact that God's timing doesn't always fit with my own expectations about when and how God should intervene in certain situations. And right now, I'm asking alongside my Ukrainian friends who are suffering as a result of the war, I'm asking, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God intervene right now in this place to save my friends from, well, from, from death? Why isn't God intervening? The Russian armies are rampaging, pillaging, raping, murdering their way through town after town after town in parts of Ukraine, even now as we speak. And every day since the invasion, I've spoken to my friends in Ukraine, our ministry partners, and they've spoken through their tears. I've never seen so many tears uh, from my friends as they tell me about innocent victims of this war the dead children that they've literally had to pull from the wreckage of the rubble of their own homes. Now for Ukrainian Christians, it's natural in these circumstances to ask why God seems to be silent in the face of so much suffering. How long, O Lord, this is the cry on the lips of every Ukrainian Christian today, how long, O Lord, Why is God allowing this to happen? And as we approach Easter, let me tell you, Holy Baptist Church, that for our Baptist brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, the crucified Christ is much nearer and closer to them than the resurrected Christ. 
And perhaps like Jesus, when we, we hear the ways that death has visited Ukraine and caused such suffering and devastation, we feel not only a sense of sorrow and grief, but we also feel a sense of anger and outrage and fury at what is happening. And like Lazarus's friends, perhaps we're in a similar situation right now. Perhaps we're waiting for Jesus to come, but for some reason he seems to be waiting, he's delaying. And so I pray that as we begin to prepare to celebrate for the joy of Easter, the triumph of life over death, my prayer is that the Lord of life, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, will in his perfect timing defeat the powers of sin and death. And that as Jesus did with, with Lazarus, if I can make this comparison, this analogy, I also pray that Jesus would bring new life and new hope to the people of Ukraine. The suffering people who need our prayers, they need our solidarity right now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Can you remember a time when you asked Jesus to help you, but he didn't seem to hear you? How did you feel when Jesus didn't seem to answer you? And why do you think God sometimes seems to delay in responding to our cries for help? How can you learn to trust more in God's timing?